Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Football Outsiders Data Show. I am your host, Vincent Verheide. Joining me, as always, Football Outsiders Editor-in-Chief Aaron Schatz, and Jeff O, uh, Contributing Writer in the uh, lower right-hand corner of our Brady Brunch setup here, Ryan Knowles. How is everyone doing this, doing today, this afternoon where you guys are? Uh, better than last week. Everything's going going good. Niners top the division. Everyone in the NFC West at two and two, just like we all thought. It's all good. Yeah, I'm all right here. Everything's good. I didn't have any light bulbs explode, so I'm fine. Hey, it's... it just makes Friday nights more exciting. It's something everyone should try. No, no explosions, no injuries, and uh, everyone I believe in the NFL is currently tied for first place right now. Um, yes. Our, Except our... Houston. Except uh, Houston and Philadelphia. Uh, our, our, our projections were Philly good, Houston bad, everyone else in the middle, and so far that is coming true. Uh, we're going to start today with one of those teams stuck in the middle, one of those teams uh, in the four-way, uh, yeah, four-way tie for first place in the NFC West. The Seattle Seahawks, like nobody expected, uh, are 2-2 two and two right now. Wait, and... wait, wait. Before we go on, sponsor read, sponsor read. Oh God, thank God you're here. You're like a professional and stuff. And I'm just, <laughs> I even told you guys I had the ad read ready to go. And then I went right over the ad read. But we do a sponsor read. We're very happy to have a sponsor here with Underdog Fantasy because you, yes, you, the Football Outsiders reader slash viewer slash listener, you can play on Underdog Fantasy with us. You can double your first deposit up to $100 with the promo code OUTSIDERS. You know, even with NFL best ball season over, Underdog has other user-friendly game formats to spice up all your games. They can try their Battle Royal, a six-round best ball-style draft with simpler chances to win the traditional daily fantasy sports sites, or try their Pick'em games, where you can wager on players' chances to go higher or lower than their projected stat lines, even in states where traditional prop betting currently isn't available. Underdog is the fastest-growing fantasy site around. Join the fun over at underdogfantasy.com. Or download Underdog in the App Store and use promo code Outsiders now to double your first deposit up to $100. And uh, with that very, very important piece of business out of the way, now it's time to talk about, again, what we were all expecting to talk about, which is Geno Smith, who's taking the NFL by storm over the uh, first four weeks of the year. Uh, a quick recap he was a, a, a backup for half a decade or more. Had three eh, starts in replace of Russell Wilson in 2021. Uh, of course, the Seahawks traded Russell Wilson away, but they were sure to acquire Drew Locke in return because they wanted to get a stunning quarterback. And it turns out they may have already had one in Geno Smith. Geno currently leads the NFL in completion percentage. And yes, there's a lot of uh, uh, dink and dunk field completion stat padding in that, but he's uh, hits a few big plays against Detroit. He is... Uh, you know, right around the av- uh, or around or better than the average rates in touchdowns, yards, interceptions, sacks, and in the top three, I believe, in Football Outsiders DR and DVOA stats. It, it's incredible. His DVOA through four games is twenty nine point seven percent, which is second, but only behind Tua Tagovailoa. There's your top. There's a top two everyone is predicting before the season started. That's right. His career high before this year in a season where he qualified was negative 12.5%. So this is, I think, slightly out of character for Smith. He, his completion percentage through the first four weeks is 77.3%, which has been going around the Twitterverse as the best in, through four games in NFL history with a minimum of 125 attempts. 
which is a very odd minimum to have because we're, they're trying to squeeze out 2007 Tom Brady from that category because he, ha- he wouldn't have to go hard to start. I think it's fair to say that 2007 Tom Brady was slightly better than Geno Smith, but has been to this point in time. Yeah. This is still a, a shocking start from a quarterback. I think I think we most people ranked him 33, 33rd out of the 32 starters before the season began. So I was going. I, I did one of these shows, and I mentioned there were. I found like a dozen teams where I thought their backup quarterback could start for the Seahawks, and I may have to revise that statement. Yeah, I mean, we had them 30th in the offensive projections, and that was only because, believe it or not, Geno Smith actually improved their offensive projection over what it was with Drew Locke. Yeah. But we didn't think they would be good, and they have been good. And the question is whether this can continue, and I am here to be skeptical. Excellent. (laughs) Because Geno Smith has never done anything like this before, including last year when he started for this same team, right? If Geno Smith suddenly had got it in Seattle, wouldn't we have seen that in the games he started last year with the same receivers and the same offensive coordinator as opposed to the games he started this year? So I think this is an early fluke. As the person who lives in Seattle and pays the most attention to Seahawks games, um, I think, obviously, he's not going to – I don't think Geno Smith is going to finish as a top-five quarterback in the NFL. I don't think that's a long-term thing. You go but you, you go back overseas, and you really find he had one good half against Denver, uh, no good halves against San Francisco, and then he played very well against Atlanta and Detroit, who I think we're going to find out by the end of the year are going to be very low in our defensive rankings. So there's, there's certainly a lot of uh, – uh, opponent adjustments that have yet to kick in here. And I think you're also going to see it, it, it got better after the Detroit win, but after uh, the Atlanta game, after three games in, he was first in completion percentage, but next to last in yards per completion. So it was nothing, but, but, you know, th- there's a lot of bad screens in those, in those completions that are, that are counting as, you know, counting as completion percentage style points, I suppose. Um, so the, the, the big plays are mostly giving us Detroit, and that has been a fluky thing this year. They're probably not going to have as many as those going forward. I think that fluky thing that week, and they're not, not going to have as many of those going forward. But the one thing I will say that has changed uh, from these Seahawks compared to last year's, besides the obvious of Russell Wilson and Geno Smith, their two rookie tackles have been as everything you could have hoped for. Um, Charles Cross, the first rounder, I think sixth overall, uh, stepped right in the starting role and has been very, very good. And Abraham Lucas, who was the the, the later round pick, third rounder, I think, and wasn't even necessarily con- uh, certain to start. Most people, most observers, most observers would tell you he's been the better of the two. So, especially against Atlanta, but often against Detroit, Gino had just just all day to do whatever he wanted in the pocket. No one was talking about Aiden Hutchinson after that Lions game. He had had no impact as uh, as uh, Smith and the Seahawks just kind of did whatever they wanted on offense. So this offensive line is playing very, very well, and I do think that is sustainable. Yeah, that, that's a very positive sign going forward. Yeah, that's an improvement over last year. I'll also point out that they've actually played a harder-than-average schedule of defenses so far. Believe it or not, their defensive, their schedule of, of opposing defenses ranks eighth. So Geno Smith has actually been a little bit better than the raw numbers suggest. 
Um, and against the 49ers, I mean, he, there was a lot of dick and dunk, but the, Seattle did move the ball with a decent level of success, especially when you compare it like, to what Matt Stafford did last night. I mean, right. the Seahawks, I mean, it wasn't good, but but compared to what everyone else has done against San Francisco so far, Gino looked pretty good against uh, Seattle. I think he played 80% of his passes against the, the Niners. So I went looking for today's DVOA article at the biggest differences between our projections and where teams stood after week four. And I went back to 2010. So that's uh, 12 different years plus this year. And Seattle has the biggest gap in rank between where we had them projected and where they actually were after four weeks. They were 30th in the projections and they are number two now, and I believe we have a graphic and hopefully we're showing it on the screen. Uh, but the rest of these teams that had similar rises from the preseason projections to what they did in the first four weeks, the ones that were quarterbacked by similar sort of journeyman quarterbacks, for the most part reverted to form after the first four weeks. The 2011 Bills were 24th in offense the rest of the way. The 2014 Browns with Brian Hoyer were 29th. The 2016 Broncos with Trevor Simeon were 29th the rest of the way. There's two teams that shocked us with these early season um, good offense that kept that good offense going the whole way. One of them was the Bills in 2020 with Josh Allen, which makes sense because that's young quarterback blossoming. And the other was the 2015 Bills with Tyrod Taylor. And that's the only example that makes me think, okay, maybe this could be for real. Like somebody hasn't done it before. But even Tyrod Taylor, he did not have a long history of being a starter. He had a long history of being a backup but I think 2015 may have been the first time that he was a starter. So it's not like Geno Smith where he failed as a starter and then was a backup and then came right. back as a starter. So the similar, the similar situations to this over the last dozen years, those teams for the most part revert back to expectation in the second half of the season. And I think that's uh that's not a surprise. And I think, uh, uh, a healthy degree of skepticism is fair. And uh, of course, there's still 13 games to go and uh, and all their division games. So, uh, except, well, seven division games. No, five division games. I can do math. I'm good. I'm, good. I'm an adult. I work for a stat site. Um, speaking of stats, every Seahawks fan uh, in the Northwest is going through a healthy amount of, uh, I believe it's pronounced Schadenfreude, uh, enjoying the struggles of Russell Wilson and the Denver Broncos uh, numerically. There's no question that Smith and the Seahawks have been better than Wilson and the Broncos for this first month of the year. Russell Wilson is currently 16th in DVOA, 15th in DR, uh, 23rd in completion rate. And even this week, which I thought was his best game of the year, uh, I didn't realize when I sat down and looked at it, he only had one first down in the second half. So uh, that's partly because they were constantly taking sacks and penalties and falling into third and long. So it's not 100% his fault, but he's, not 0% his fault either. Uh, they're still very much start and stop and a lot of work to do there, which leads to a question that was asked on Sunday. Would you rather have Russell Wilson or Geno Smith, two first-round picks, and $30 million? And that, that is our, uh, you know, uh, the question. It's easy to answer in hindsight, and there's still a long way to go. I don't think 
buyer's remorse is necessarily set in yet in Denver, but I do think that the first month has not gone as well as they had hoped. I think it is more likely that Russell Wilson is not as good as we thought than it is that Geno Smith is much better than we thought. Yeah. In other words, like if I'm reviewing this trade and looking forward at the rest of the season, my worry, my my worry, uh, not, not worry. That's the wrong word, but as the Seahawks, I would feel better about the idea that, Russell will we got rid of Russell Wilson and didn't have to pay him what he's not worth then I would feel good about the idea that Geno Smith is our new franchise quarterback I also if I'm a Broncos fan I'm not yet saying oh I, what if Russ is washed up I'm worried about the coaching I worry that you know has Nathaniel Hackett not figured out a way to use Russell Wilson yet in his offense is it, is it a square peg in a round hole and Hackett hasn't been able to bridge that gap yet because uh, everything else Hackett is doing is failing miserably at this point in time. So adding, oh, well, uh, Wilson is, is is struggling because of that is a pretty easy uh, jump to go to there. So it might be, it's the, the truth is probably somewhere in the middle, but if I'm a Broncos fan, I'm clinging on to, oh, maybe we'll replace a coach. That's not exactly what you want to, after the fourth week of, the, of, your, of your new brand new head coach, but I think that is probably, uh, that's something you probably lean on more than, oh, well, Wilson is washed and he's not getting good anymore. Well, they are committed to Wilson at this point, so I don't think there's anything they can do but change the coach. No. No, this is this is a total hindsight question because there's no there's no undoing the trade. Right, right. That's true. I do think uh, as far as uh, have the Seahawks found their franchise quarterback, I did my, my quick reads column up at footballoutsiders.com right now, cheap lug, thumbs up. Um, looking at other quarterbacks who were started, played badly, Went to the bench and came back to start again and played well. And uh, there's a few examples of uh, where this has happened. The, the best single season was Randall Cunningham with the Vikings in 1998 when they went 15, I think 15 and one. and went to the NFC Championship game. Um, other good years was Drew Bledsoe with the Bills in 2002, although that's kind of a gray area, whether you want to count that as an injury replacement or a benching. Um, there's, there's been a few years, a few good years, but the key is most of them were in fact good years and not good series of years or good whole 10 years. Randall Cunningham went back to the bench in 1999. People forget this. It was, it was, it was a, it was an oasis in the desert that one great year. And then he was back to being a a, a solid backup and he was hung around for a while. Um, You have Steve Young after his benching in Tampa and riding the pine of San Francisco, San Francisco for several years, turned into Steve Young. And a few readers in the comments have noted you have guys like Rich Gannon, who were backups for a while and they came back with more productive starters. But by and large, these guys who are benched and come back and play well don't play well for a long time. So the notion that can Geno Smith carry this through the rest of the year? We're slightly skeptical of that. Can he carry it through 2023 and carry it through 2020-24? I'd be very surprised. So I don't think this success takes them out of the quarterback market for the offseason. Well, the worst the worst case scenario is if, is if Gino's just good enough to get the Seahawks to like seven and ten or eight and nine and get him out of the first round quarterback discussion. Yep. Because if we, if, if we don't think Smith is going to be good in the future, uh, winning too much will actually hurt the Seahawks here. You're not wrong, but they do have two first round picks, so they might be able to make a deal to get up for somebody. So that is where the Seahawks start. Now we should talk about their opponents from Sunday, who are having a fascinating little year. The Detroit Lions, as we all expected, sarcasm, uh, lead the NFL in scoring offense 
and as we all expected, not sarcasm, last in the league in scoring defense. Uh, the only team over a full season to be first in points scored and last in points allowed was the 2000 Rams. Uh, and the, the peak of the uh, greatest show on turf, the uh, was Mike March their coach then? I, I, uh, yes, yeah. yeah that, that, is a, that is a Mike March stat if ever I've heard one. Uh, who would say things like he didn't care if his quarterbacks threw interceptions, which would, of course, put the defense in bad position and all that kind of thing. And his quarterback was Kurt, Kurt Warner, and uh, Warner has had his ups and downs in his career as well. Um, but these Lions have already lost two games where they've scored 35 or more points. That is tied at the single season already. We're barely in October. Uh, the last team to do that was the 2020 Texans. In the Lions games for the first four weeks of the year, 281 combined points. That is the most through four weeks in NFL history, breaking the record of 276 set by the 2016 Falcons. And I believe that Atlanta team made the Super Bowl. They, they did. They, they got the defense stuff. Uh, they got the defense figured out by the end of the year. I don't think that's going to happen in Detroit. But, you know, you never know. <laughs> yeah, it's always the, main fun the main conclusion here is put all the Lions into your fantasy team. Every single yes. one of them. Because they did I mean, all they, this without uh, Emmanuel Ross St. Brown. They yeah. did without, you know, they, they're missing half of their skill position players. And they still uh, were marching up and down the field. Put all the Lions in your starting lineup. Put everyone playing the Lions in your starting lineup. Just focus on that game. It's not, it's not a bad strategy. And uh... it, this week is probably going to be Bailey Zappi versus the Lions defense. And Zappi's going to post 326 yards. The resistible force versus the movable object. <laughs> Tune in now. Get your popcorn ready. Uh, this Lions Seahawks game had the 18th most scrimmage, uh, most yards from scrimmage in NFL history. 1,075 yards in this game alone. Uh, if they had gone overtime, they would have had a good shot of breaking the record of 1,151 set in that uh, Super Bowl. Uh, yeah. Yeah, Patriots Eagles, Super Bowl. Was it Patriots Falcons or Patriots Eagles? That was that was Eagles Patriots, I believe. Eagles Patriots, excuse yeah. me. Yeah. And then Jared Goff has now played in three of the twenty highest scoring games in NFL history. Jared Goff. Sure. <laughs> uh, jo Johan Noja uh, says the most efficient way to put Lions in your fantasy lineup is by adding their defense. No, no, don't add their defense. Offensive Lions. Offensive Lions. Yeah, I don't know if Johan's actually played fantasy football before, but it doesn't work that way. I think he may be kidding. <laughs> um, oh, yeah, Jared Goff, it's, it's funny. Um, people kind of wrote him off last year. But he, he's the guy who uh, he elevates – what's the word I used? He amplifies the state of the offense around him. If he's getting good blocking, his first read is open. He's the human jugs machine who, who will make any throw on the field and put it right where it needs to be. If things go wrong – I think if there's, if there's pressure over the first week is not open, then all bets are off. But when things are going well, he plays well. And this, you know, this stat here with all the high scoring games he's got and how well Detroit's offense is playing, um, that's that, that's not surprising considering the kind of quarterback he is. Now, <laughs> I was the guy in the third quarter of last week talking about how the Lions were going to make the playoffs this year. And they proceeded to blow that lead against Minnesota and then came out and did this. And um, <laughs> we've been talking for I almost, well, a year and a quarter now about how the Lions keep losing in impressive fashion. At some point, you have to start winning, even if, even if it's an ugly win. 
but you need to start turning these impressive losses into ugly wins just to make some kind of progress. And uh, there's definitely progress in the Dan Campbell era, but it seems to me you have plateaued a little bit. Uh, we'd like to see more out of them going forward uh, because they're kind of just spinning their wheels. But they're spinning yeah. those really fast, and, that, and that's great as a neutral fan. <laughs> yeah, I think at a certain point, they've got to be better than this. And I don't know whether – I mean, I can't – you can't say, given how they've played this year, that it's that Goff is holding them back. No, it's the defense. scoring a zillion points. Yeah. But the defense is not coming together, even though there's good players on it, and they made a good pick with this kid Rodriguez, the linebacker, and Jeff Akuda is suddenly playing really well, and it's still they're giving up tons of points. So we go on the upcoming schedule here at New England this week, as you noted, against Bailey Zappi and the Pats. Uh, then they have a bye week. Then they're at Dallas, where maybe Cooper Rush will be still a quarterback. We'll see. Uh, Miami and Green Bay at home are the tough games. And then this could be a fun one. Uh, week 10, the Detroit Lions and that defense at the Chicago Bears and that offense. Oh, wow. That really is the resistible force versus the visible <laughs> object. Wow. The Bears might have 50 completions by that point in time, so look out. <laughs> oh, the Bears are going to run all over the Lions. The Lions' run, run defense, I believe, is actually worse than the pass yeah. defense. So, yeah, Justin Fields may not throw in that game. Yeah, for, for the good of the land, they may have to just take the game off television, play it in an empty arena in the dark. Just report back a winner and loser, and we'll just move on with our lives and pretend it never happened. Moving on, another team that has lost some big leads of late is the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, the Buffalo Bills had lost 39 straight games in which they had been losing by 17 or more points. And it goes all the way back to when Ryan Fitzpatrick was their starter in 2011, the well-traveled journeyman Ryan Fitzpatrick. Uh, Josh Allen, of course, led them back to this comeback. Uh, come back win over Baltimore on Sunday. Now, he's part of the reason, I should point this out as the Quick Reads author, he is part of the reason Buffalo needed to come back in the first place because he was actually the worst quarterback in the league in the first quarter of week four. Uh, so he helped dig them into that hole, but then, of course, he was played a large part in digging them out of it. So, Brian, I'm looking at your notes here. The Ravens have already blown two leads of 17 points or more this season. The last time to do that in the first four games was the last team to do that in the first four games was the 2011 Vikings, which we have, I think, collectively no memory of, except Adrian Peterson was probably there. Yep. Uh, the only two teams in NFL history to have more blown leads of 17 points or more in the season, the 2003 Falcons and the 2020 Chargers. And if there's two franchises you want to avoid in, uh, being compared to in the curse loss department, it's the Falcons and Chargers. Yeah, this is this is the Ravens have a chance to join like the the Mount Rushmore of cursed teams here if they keep blowing these huge leads. I mean, yeah, the yeah the Vikings that list too have a long history of of yes. coming to, short in the clutch. This is a horrible list to be on. That two thousand three Falcons team that was the year Michael Vick broke his leg and missed most of the year, uh, so they got through for uh, twelve games with starts by Doug Johnson and Kurt Kittner. Um, that's so, uh, that, that's uh that's the thing that happened. Yeah. <laughs> probably, um, I guess if we went through the play-by-play, -play, we might find some crucial interceptions and sacks in there, leading to those comebacks and those or those blown leads for the Falcons. Yeah, you wouldn't expect um, the same kind of thing with Lamar Jackson at quarterback. No, you would not. But it, no. it's it's not gone well. Um, as you note here, the Ravens are in the top five in offensive DOA in the first, second, and third quarters, but twentieth in the fourth quarter. 
And so we have to ask, is this kind of uh, fall off late in the game? Is this a real thing or a fluke through the first month of the year? I think it's a fluke. Historically, these sort of quarter by quarter splits do not tend to hold for the whole year. Yeah, and I think especially because, uh, you know, four, four games of four quarters, that's essentially one game, and you would, write off, you would write off one game as a bad game. I mean, I mean, yeah, and, and I know as much as we want to believe that a certain team is just really good starters or a certain team is just really bad at finishing, it just tends to be pretty fluky. And assuming this fluky, that bodes really well because the Ravens have been so good for 75% of their games. And, you know, it, I hate to bring up the fourth down conversion because that's what all anyone is talking about now about the Ravens. But had they converted that, we'd be talking about an entirely different thing here. Like, oh, yeah, sure, they, they you know, the, the Bills are tough. They came back close, but the Ravens held on at the end. Yeah. We're talking one or two plays. And yes, the Ravens have had a couple of these uh, these calls in the last uh, couple of years where they have done the analytically correct thing and failed uh, and lost that game. But the coverage has just been crazy. It'd be, it'd be like, you know, oh, you've called heads three times, but it's come up tails. Is it t- time to bring in a coin flipping expert today to explain these things to me? Like, <laughs> it, the, the, John, Harbour, John Harbour after the game had a great explanation of, you know, well, we went for the touchdown because a field goal makes the other team want to try more. Uh, they're going to march on the field anyway, et cetera, et cetera, and so forth. And I just wish that that would just calm down and is that, yes, over time, the Ravens win more games with their strategy and what they're doing. They have gotten unlucky a couple of times in a row. Things will be fine. Relax. Remember, no one ever talks about this when it works. Yes. Right. They only talk about it when it fails. And even if it failed, I mean, if they had kicked, if they had kicked the field goal, which many people wish they had kicked, uh, all that means is that they would have gone to overtime and they may have lost there. It's not like they would have won no, this game. No, because the Bills got down to the three-yard line with a minute and a half left. That's and right. They were kneeling. Yeah. Imagine that the Bills run the same drive, right? Which we don't know for sure. But imagine the Bills run the same drive on their next drive. The Bills are at the three with a minute and a half left. The odds of them scoring a touchdown and beating Baltimore anyway are very high. Yeah. And as far as uh, you know, small sample size and uh, that kind of thing goes, if that fourth down pass is a touchdown instead of an interception, this 20th ranking in fourth quarter DVOA looks a lot different. Yeah. I, I would guess probably somewhere near 10th instead of 20th. So basically the, the other end of the scale uh, as far as – where they would fall. So again, yes, uh, fluky things happen when you're looking at individual quarters in a handful of games. This will probably balance out. And as as ugly and, and, and the losses count, you know, you can't go back and change that. But they're probably going to win a lot more games going forward. And I'm I'm, not, I'm certainly not panicking about the Ravens yet. Maybe panicking about their defense. The defense has had a lot their of issues. Their defense is still 16th in DVOA. That's not panic. That's not panic. That's that's. You know, oh, it's not as good as we want it to be, but it's not panic. No. Oh, another quarterback having a big game or at least a big moment on a, a Sunday was Aaron Rodgers of the Green Bay Packers. He is now the fifth quarterback in NFL history to throw 500 touchdowns in regular season and playoffs combined, joining Tom Brady, Drew Brees, Peyton Manning, and uh, Brett Favre, also with the Green Bay Packers. Uh, he can get, he's now 455 in the regular season. So he can get 45 more and just get 500 in the regular season alone. Probably if he sticks around, 
maybe by the end of 2023 he can get that done. And uh, very notable here, pick sixes aren't something you would think would be very predictable. Uh, but when you look at who has thrown a lot of them, you, you find it's the guys who, uh, well, they're, they're really bad. Uh, Aaron Rodgers is not really bad. guys throw lots of interceptions, right? Pick sixes are not predictable, but interceptions are yeah. a little bit predictable. And guys who throw lots of picks throw lots of pick sixes. And guys who avoid throwing picks, like Aaron Rodgers, do not throw pick sixes. So that was very rare. Yeah, uh, it was on Sunday, Rodgers threw just the fourth pick six of his career, which is astonishing. I mean, we were talking about Geno Smith earlier. Smith, Geno Smith already has eight on just over 1,100 pass attempts, while, while Rodgers is over is near 8,000 pass attempts. Uh, Justin Herbert and Kyler Murray also have four career pick six here. And Aaron Rodgers didn't play, you know, they were in second grade when Aaron Rodgers entered the NFL. Rodgers' ability to avoid interceptions has been his greatest strength in his career. Yes. And it, it, that impresses me more than the 500 touchdowns, quite honest. I mean, because if you are a great player and you play forever, you're going to throw a bunch of touchdowns. But the fact that, that Rodgers just Rodgers just never throws pick six, that's why it was shocking that he, you know, that he threw one against the Patriots and nearly blew that game because it just doesn't happen. Yeah, and I will point out that the Packers are still eighth in offensive DVOA, despite the struggles their offense had against the Patriots this week. So, like, this is still a, one of the better offensive teams in the league, even though it feels like they really missed Devontae Adams. Uh, the running game has been really good. Uh, they have a weird split for the passing game, and you can get these splits on FO Plus with an FO Plus subscription, of course. And their passing game is 21st in the league on first down and 24th on third down, but second on second down. That's one of those weird splits that, you know, tends to be kind of fluky, but you like to, like, point it out because it's just weird. Yeah. Um, and they, they had another, another weird split on Sunday where uh, Brett Favre had the worst passing DR in the first half of this week, but the best passing DR in the second half this week. Aaron Rodgers, I think you mean. Uh, yes, what did I say? You said Brett, Brett Favre. Favre. <laughs> Brett Favre had zero DR. <laughs> that I can confirm. He's too busy with his other uh, nefarious activities that we won't get into today. Uh, Aaron Rodgers was the uh, worst passer of the week in the first half, and the best passer in the second half. Um, and I, I think game. it was a weird, it was a weird, very game. weird game for a lot of reasons. Because I think like, that the, gets Packers, into the Packers couldn't throw deep in the first half. Like, like, like they didn't try, and the, the, like a couple times they tried, it was way off. Rodgers. Rodgers is a quarterback who really relies on these relationships with the receivers, like a, a lot of chemistry going on there. And that hasn't really clicked here through the first month. It's getting, it's slowly getting better, but uh, this is something that, you know, I think he's hurt more from losing Devontae Adams than, uh, for example, the Chiefs are from losing Tyreek Holmes, just because yes. he's been, Rodgers is so much, and, okay, place breaking down. I know exactly where my guy is. I trust he's going to be there. I'm going to throw him the ball. And he doesn't quite have that th uh, that same level of, of chemistry yet with the receiver, with the young receivers that are in the lineup. It's like he's going to Randall Cobb in the key situations at the end of against the Patriots because he knows Cobb. He knows where he's going to be. I feel like, um, you know, Green, we're talking about Green Bay ranking eighth. Um, I feel like we were talking about how teams are – uh, congested in the middle of the rank DVOA rankings. We're four weeks in here. There's only three offenses with a DVOA above 20%, and there's only two offenses with a DVOA below 20 below and minus 20%. So everyone else is kind of in that range, which is would be typical over a full year, 
but only four weeks in, you would expect to find more outliers. And uh, there's just not that many teams that look extremely great or extremely awful this year. That's what we said going into the season. So that's what happens when half the league is two and two. It's just, yeah, there's a lot of parity this year. And uh, and these top three offenses, by the way, that are above 20%, you have Baltimore, which will probably stay close to that level all year. Miami, which is a huge question mark right now. And Seattle, which we've already all said, we think will not be able to keep this up. So it, it, it's a very, very muddled season. Uh, there's going to be, you know, nine, ten wins, maybe an eight-win, well, yeah, maybe an eight-win team in the playoffs uh, come come January. It's it's going to be some Jackson. strange results. Jackson. But it'll be exciting to follow because your team will be alive. Jacksonville. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There'll be an eight-win team in the playoffs. Jacksonville. Yes. Yes. They have the best shot of that. Okay, moving on. Where have I done with our notes here? There they are. Uh, more, more Green Bay stuff. The Green Bay Packers now have 785 wins as a franchise. That is a new NFL record. It, it ties the Chicago Bears for the most wins in NFL history. It is the first time the Bears franchise has not been number one at all overall since week 11 of 1921. Oh, I remember. That was good. That was back in the early days of Football Outsiders. It was. Football (laughs) Abacus. Yes. It actually, that, believe it or not, I do actually know about the Week 11 1921 game because it's a very significant game. It is known as the Staley Swindle because it was the Chicago Bears, uh, Chicago Staley's, excuse me, at that time against the Buffalo All-Americans. The Buffalo All-Americans were one of the best teams in the early, early 1920s. Uh, that year, they were 8-0-2. And, and at that time, ties didn't count. So they were essentially undefeated. And they were 8-0-2. They were the champions. They made up little pins and everything. They celebrated their championship. This is the at the end of November, the 8-0-2. The Bears, the Staley's, were 7-1. They had played seven games in Chicago, had won all of them, and had played one road game in Buffalo and had lost to the All-Americans. So it's very clear. Your All-Americans are your champions. Your Staley's are your runners-up. Everything's good. George Hallis didn't like that. George Hallis wanted another crack at the uh, at Buffalo, and so he said, "Why don't you come down to Chicago and we'll play another game?" Because at that this time, you made your own schedule. You played whoever you wanted to at any point in time. And the All Americans were champions, and they liked that, but they also liked money. And one of the best things you could do as a football team in the early 1920s was play a game in Chicago because the Staleys uh, always sold out wherever they went. So he agreed to the to the owner of the All-Americans, agreed to a game under the condition that this is a postseason exhibition game. This game doesn't count. We're just going down there for the money, and I'll be good. And George Hallis smiled and nodded and said, yes, this sounds good. So half the All-Americans got on a train and, mo- and, and went over to play a game in Akron on December 3rd. They played the, they played the Akron Pros, and they won that game to get to 9-0. and And half the team went home because the season was over. They didn't want to play anymore. They have to play, play the Akron Pros. They celebrated that night very heavily. They got on all-night train and went to Chicago to play the Staley's the very next day. And they got beaten pretty badly by the Staley's. At which point, George Hallis turned around and said, hey, this game totally counts. You can't have an exhibition game if there's no set end to the season. And he quickly scheduled two more games, and he won another one of them to get the, Bear, to get the Staley's to 9-1 as well. So now you have the Staley's claiming we are our co-champions at 9-1, while the All-Americans going, no, this was an exhibition game. This doesn't count. We told the media it's an exhibition game. All the posters say it's an exhibition game. And House said, yeah, I agreed to that. But on retrospect, no, this game counts. We're the champions. 
And he went to the league office and said, we're tied at one and one. You know, that should be the first tiebreaker because they're both nine and one. We, they won the game in Buffalo. We won the game in Chicago. So we need to go to the second tiebreaker. And we don't have a second tiebreaker. But what I think it should be is the team that won the second game should be huh. the champion. Because that's the one that happened more recently and therefore is more relevant. And the rest of the league agreed with him. And that's why the Chicago Staleys are the 1921 champions. They won their 19th game in very suspicious circumstances and have been the team with the most wins in league history ever since. Which just goes to show you, if you lie and cheat and steal, it will come back to haunt you 101 years later. <laughs> 1920s football. Crazy. I have nothing to add. I mean, the early NFL was the Wild West, man. That, that That is a story. I, I had no idea the Chicago Bears were run by Bobby the Brain Heenan. Um, that is a story straight out of a pro wrestling heel manager playbook. That is fantastic. I actually, I don't think I knew that. Um, they tried it again yes. a few years later, and, but, but people had caught on by then. Yeah, I don't think that trick would work twice. Uh, <sighs> uh, without talking about the future, the uh, very immediate future of the Green Bay Packers, they will travel to London this weekend play another uh, long-time NFL franchise, the New York Giants, which is notable because I, I'm not sure how long they've been playing these games in London, but this is the first game in London where both teams will have winning records at the time of kickoff. Um, the NFL does not send its, its, its primary games to London. This did not look like a primary game a month ago, but these Giants... I like to tell you when I am right, but I will also tell you when I have been wrong. I thought they were going to get the first draft pick and me too. They're, they're Me not. Too. They've escaped with some very close wins. They are not playing well. No. They are not playing well. That being said, it looks like the Giants will be starting either Davis Webb or Jake Fromm in the London oh game. This, this continues our, our, uh, our tendency of exporting only the best games to London. Oh, Packers defense and special teams, baby. Jake Fromm, State Farm is still in the league. I don't think I. Yeah, I didn't know Jake Fromm was still on their roster. I guess they're uh, bringing him in special because Tyrod Taylor got injured. Exactly, they're, they're trying him out today, and there's actually some talk that he might just jump right into the starting role because he knows the offense. Packers. Maybe we are still in the 1920s. <laughs> All right, Packers wow. defense and special Legend. teams. Let, let's talk about some odds and ends, man. We've got some more. We've got so many stats for people. That's why this is the stat show, kids. It is the stat show. Yeah, we are kind of uh, dragging here. Fourth down, odds and ends that Brian's put together. Chiefs and Bucks from this past Sunday night. <laughs> I love this one. Uh, the Tampa Bay Bucks in their first three games allowed 27 points. Patrick Mahomes scored 28 of them in the first half. Yes. Um, turns out Patrick Mahomes is still good. Uh, Patrick Mahomes, the, the, the most fun play of the night, and honestly one of the most fun plays Patrick Mahomes has ever had. Uh, the scramble to the right sideline, the tease, the run, the ballet pirouette to escape a defender, the tease, the run a second time, the little, <laughs> almost a handoff, almost, almost an overhand, like a shot put for about two yards to Clyde Edwards-Hilaire for the two-yard touchdown. He scrambled 39.4 yards on that play before uh, throwing the pass. That is four touchdown passes in his career with over 30-plus yards scrambling first no other quarterback has more than one in the past five seasons. Mahomes is just made of magic. That, I mean, the, the, he does things which should not work. Yeah. That's why I, I was so down the Chiefs drafting him because all that stuff he did in college, that's not going to work in the pros, and it just keeps working. It's, it's, it's amazing. 
my Sunday setup, I've got one TV that's got the local game, which is usually the Seahawks, and I got my uh, my uh, the big screen gets the four way split on Sunday ticket. And whenever I am choosing games, first thing I look at is well, first thing I look at honestly is uh, the Cardinals and 49ers since I am writing their chapters next year. But the next thing I look at is where is uh, uh, Patrick Mahomes and where how can I put him on TV and watch him play football because that is more fun than anything else in the NFL right now. Uh, Patrick Mahomes has now hit 20,000 yards in only 67 games played. That is a new record, breaking the record set by Matthew Stafford of 71 games. Uh, not the first record Patrick Mahomes has broken, won't be the last. And Tampa Bay, they, they fell behind early, so there wasn't that much uh, uh, critique of them or blowback on them, but they only had six rushes the entire game, and that, that is six handoffs. There's no kneels or uh, anything like that in there. And yeah. uh, that is the second fewest in NFL history. And yeah, Tom Brady no quarterback the likes to abandon the run like Tom Brady. This, this, <laughs> this, uh, he's been the quarterback three of the five times that a team has had six or fewer runs yeah. in NFL history. And by the way, this is one of the reasons why we ended up with the very strange DVOA result where Tampa Bay had a higher DVOA for this game than Kansas City did. Because they Tampa Bay never ran the ball, and passing is more efficient than rushing. So even though they were doing it from behind, they were passing. Their offense was more efficient. Tampa Bay actually averaged a yard per play more than Kansas City in this game. I've sort I of stunning. And That's I believe had the only turnover. Um, Kansas City had the only turnover, right? That they, they threw a pick. Yes, because uh, oh no, sorry, because the, the opening kickoff, they put Kansas City. Oh yeah. right, right, yeah, Kansas City put uh, the opening kickoff on the ground. Tampa Bay's offense don't have a turnover, um, but with that, you know, the big early lead was was Tampa Bay never had the ball and a chance to tie or take the lead. They were always down by multiple scores, so Kansas City could afford to play more conservatively by their standards, which is still more aggressive than you know eighty percent of teams probably. Uh, moving on, other news notes around the league. Zach Wilson catches a touchdown pass against the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers, the first quarterback in Jets history to catch a touchdown pass, which leads to a fun uh, discussion of which franchise that has never had a quarterback catch a touchdown pass will be the next to do it. And there we are have a list eight, of- yeah, eight teams left which have never had a quarterback catch a touchdown pass. They are the uh, Carolina Panthers. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the Washington Commanders, the New York Giants, the San Francisco 49ers, the Arizona Cardinals, the Baltimore Ravens, and the Las Vegas Raiders. I just want to see the play which involves the 49ers catching a touchdown pass. I want to see the plan that has Jimmy Garoppolo running at running a pass pattern. It's one of these Philly specials. I, I would think it would be the Giants. Daniel Jones is surprisingly nimble. 60 rushing yards this week, 60 yards and a couple of touchdowns. Tops in rushing DR, even though he left in, I think, the third quarter. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and uh, Brian Dable's the guy who unleashed Josh Allen as a right. No, you know, no one going in the draft thought Allen was going to be a rushing threat. Dable set him free. No, was- everybody thought Allen was going to be a rushing threat. Everybody right, knew that I- was one part of his game that everyone thought was actually good. I stand corrected. And Josh Allen does have a touchdown reception in the playoffs with Dable calling calling uh, calling plays. So. Yes. <laughs> And I was looking I, over I these... the Arizona Cardinals because it, uh, you have a combination of the very athletic quarterback yes. and an offense that doesn't always quite seem to know what it's doing, so it might need to, ge- to draw something up to generate more offense. I think I think Murray might be a, a high, a prime candidate for a, a touchdown reception. Cliff, Cliff Kingsbury's 
main offense is very vanilla, but he will break out the funky stuff. I, right. I can imagine a James Conner going back to throw to Kyler Murray. That, that's, that's a thing you can see. I'm thinking more of fun stuff. Like, what if the Ravens come out with Lamar Jackson and Tyler Huntley on the field at the same time? That's two athletic quarterbacks who would be uh, theoretically eligible to catch a pass there. And my initial thought looking at this list was that there's no way Tom Brady's going to do it at this point in his career. And then I remembered it wasn't that long ago, the Patriots threw him a pass in the Super Bowl. Yep. So you can't write anything off there. Uh, Johan Noha says the Panthers are his vote, but it would require them to approach the end zone. Whose quarterback do you want to have the ball the least? I think Tom Brady. You don't yeah. want Tom Brady running past Panthers. <laughs> you can avoid it. No, I'm envisioning uh, a Baker Mayfield to Sam Darnold touchdown route or something like that. And uh, I, I don't think it would go very well. Uh, plus, that okay. requires a, a, a small bit of creativity, and that's not what you're getting from the Panthers this season. The Panthers have made Christian McCaffrey a between-the-tackles runner. Yes. Yes. Now, talking about quarterback touchdown catches, uh, the record for a franchise is debatable because positions weren't always as solidified as they are now. And, uh, Brian, this is anything like pre-AFL, I'm going to uh, defer to you. I think this is your area of expertise. Yeah. Uh, the, the, when you're talking about quarterbacks catching touchdowns, you have to define what a quarterback is. It does take some hill count. Sometimes yes, sometimes no. The Lions have had six players labeled as quarterbacks catch touchdown passes. But four of them were pre-1960, and uh, Clyde LaForce and both Jerry Reichow, they were secondary passers slash ends and halfbacks, and they don't – whether you count them or not is really questionable. So yeah. I, would, I would give the award to the Dallas Cowboys, who because uh, Dak Prescott has caught one, and Danny White caught two when he was the starting quarterback. He wasn't a puncher. He wasn't rotating with Starbuck. He was the starting quarterback, and he caught a couple touchdown passes. So the Dallas Cowboys, I would say, have the most quarterback reception touchdowns in NFL history. To be uh, elsewhere in the league, Trevor Lawrence, the first player since at least 1991 to lose four fumbles in a game. Uh, that's kind of a bad luck stat. There's been lots of players who have had four fumbles in a game, but they're, they or their teammates recovered at least one of those balls. So. Uh, the, the, this losing four fumbles is more uh, bad luck on a bad day than a necessarily historically bad day. Um, yeah, the, 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 there's some question about whether four fumbles lost is the record or not. And the fact of the matter is the NFL never really kept track of these kind of things because, yeah, it is, kind of, it is just bad luck that you have to drop that many things. It's the most since at least 1991, but there's just no record before that. Uh, Try not fumbling four times. Try not playing in a in a rainstorm. I think that that'd be my advice to Lawrence going forward. It was also a rainstorm, not not quite as bad as the Chicago storm in week one, but definitely definitely a soggy day. Uh, Kenny Pickett did not throw a single incomplete pass in his debut. He every pass he threw was caught, ten by his teammates, three by defenders. Uh, but that is the record for most pass and attempts in a game where every pass was caught by somebody. Earl Morrill and Heath Schuler, speaking of great backup quarterbacks of days gone by, uh, they each had 12 passes in a game without a single incomplete pass. Yeah, Pickett's also the first quarterback to have multiple rushing touchdowns in his first career game. V very strange stat line for Pickett. He's going to be in trivia, trivia questions for, for years and years to come, whether or not he had to being a good passer or not. Gets to play three of the hardest defenses in the league over the next four weeks. So good oh, luck. Boy. 
why wouldn't you give him the 10 days of practice to get to no. play this week? And instead, you're going to put him in halftime, and now you're going to throw him to the, to, to the Wolves. I have no idea what the Steelers are doing. I would imagine the list of quarterbacks with multiple rushing touchdowns and multiple interceptions who didn't start in the game is very short. Yes. Buffalo, Buffalo, Tampa Bay, and Philly. Ooh. Plus Miami. That's their next – that's Pittsburgh's next four games. Buffalo, Tampa Bay, Miami, and Philly. Welcome to the NFL, kid. Oh, and four. <laughs> well, it is uh, uh, It's another rookie quarterback, Bailey Zappi. Every time I read this, I want to say Bailey Zapp, but it's Bailey Zappi. Uh, the first touchdown pass from rookie quarterback this season in week four. It took four weeks for a rookie to throw a touchdown pass. The first time it's taken that long since 2007. Trivia question, who was the first rookie quarterback to throw a touchdown pass 15 years ago? Anyone who uh, guesses this answer right, I will mail a shiny quarter. There are so, some years where just no one, no, it, no one takes over right at the beginning. And 2007 was the last time we just said, "Look, this quarterback class is just garbage, and no one's even going to pretend we have a thing going on here." Uh, we've got some other fun stats here while people are trying to guess who was the first rookie quarterback to throw a touchdown pass in 2007. <laughs> Cooper Cup with 42 receptions currently beats the entire Chicago Bears offense by eight. That's good. Eminently believable if you've watched either of them play. We we were we were rooting for that in the in the in the Discord server all through Monday night with uh you know because Cup kept getting those like two or three yard catches at the end of the game and everything blown out. Keep going, keep going, keep throwing to the Cup. I want the stat to last as long as physically possible because there's no way one receiver is going to beat that whole team for a full season, right? I mean, right? we're, 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 we're right. fairly sure about that. Just keep padding those. The Rams have no other receivers. The Bears have no quarterbacks. Keep going. That's true. Here's yeah. another shocking stat. The Colts, the Colts with Jonathan Taylor are last in run offense DVOA so far. They were second last year. They are last so far. And I love our preseason Kubiak fantasy projections, but I feel terrible about the fact that we had uh, Jonathan Taylor and Christian McCaffrey as the top two running backs because they have not been the top two running backs this year at all. McCaffrey, at least we can give a little bit of, oh, the Panthers have no idea what they were doing. We can put that, that stamp on that and one. And he's still getting PPR points because he's still catching lots of passes. But Jonathan Taylor has been bad, and their offensive line has been really bad. That is, that is one of the strangest things of the year for, for me. The fact that, like, Quentin Nelson is no longer, like, just destroying people is very strange. Right, and given the weaknesses that they have other places, if Quentin Nelson is not destroying people, then... Yeah. And, and, and Matt Ryan has looked very, very washed up. Teams aren't afraid of the pass. They're sacking the box. It's, uh, I don't think it's going to turn around in Indianapolis anytime soon. I don't think anybody has a winner on our 2007 first uh, rookie touchdown passer. I think uh, we'll go ahead and call that contest. The answer is Trent Edwards, the uh, Buffalo Bills. Stanford zone. That's right. On the long list of great Stanford quarterbacks, the John Elway and Andrew Luck, who can forget Trent Edwards. Uh, we got a few minutes left. We're going to go through some of these um, miscellaneous things at the end here. I'll hit at least one more here. Right. That the Panthers are now one and twenty-six under Matt Rule when their opponent scores seventeen or more points. That that that's bad. Uh, over the past five years, teams have won about thirty-five percent of the time when allowing seventeen or more points. 
So if the Panthers were just average, you'd expect them to have won nine or ten games in 27 tries. The odds that a team would win one or fewer games, I had to, I had to get out Wolfram Alpha to calculate this, is 0.008%, assuming, oh. assuming they were league average. Matt Rule, and I don't want to get too, jump out to the collusions too early on here, Matt Rule may not be a very good head coach. Fired. Going to get fired. Do you this, think he makes it to Halloween? That was the question I was going to ask. Well, now he has to go up against the 49ers defense this week. This is going to be, this is, could be an embarrassment that might actually end up getting, getting him kicked out right away. The thing the is, if they, fire him, they make, if they fire him, they make Ben McAdoo the interim coach. He's the offensive coordinator. So if you fire him because the offense isn't working and then you put the team in the hands of the guy who runs the offense, it doesn't make any sense. Well, you, 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 you don't fire him because of this, these four games. You fire him because of the past three years. Yeah. And, uh, and and if I'm Ben McIndoo, I, I I'm highly compensated to do this job for the next uh, three months, but I do not expect to be having it the same job in 2023. So it's a, it's a, it's a, the start of a house cleaning. But that 49ers defense against this Carolina offense, uh, what, what? that that could get ugly. Don't be shocked that the over under formula predicts the Panthers with the lowest total of any team this week. I, 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 I am not shocked by it. Can you score negative points? Is that possible? Yeah. Um, uh, yes, if you're on Fox and the little football that shows you have the ball. <laughs> I hadn't thought of that. And it looks like you've scored negative points. Yeah. yeah. They'll, and, they'll uh, get two and drop low ones out of the back of the end zone, and then that'll be it. They'll lose like 24 to 2 or something. And one more thing. This is, uh, I guess it's not surprising, but to actually process it is, is kind of mind-blowing. It's week four. This is the first time the New England Patriots are alone in last place in their division in week four or later since 2000. Since it's before Football Outsiders, yes. Twenty years. <laughs> yes. Before the Texans existed. Yes. It's been a long, long time. And it's not like they're a historically inept team or anything. They just have this splits have gone this way in the... In the uh, uh first four weeks but that's that's insane <laughs> that is uh, your your favorite franchise's favorite era came and went in the span in between the patriots being uh alone in uh, last place this late into the year first time in but, the 21st century <laughs> yes some would argue some would argue that the year 2000 does count as the 20th century those people uh, are wrong. <laughs> I, I agree <laughs> with <you> there <laughs> But uh, I think that's going to do it today. Anyone else, anyone else got anything they uh, want to shoehorn in here? Let's wrap it on up, baby. I think we can wrap it on up for the day. Thank you for joining us, listeners. Thank you, Aaron, for being part of the show. Thank you, Brian, for being part of the show. Uh, that was a fun time, everyone. Let's do it again next week. 